I will invite you to find your way back to Luke chapter 1, which was beautifully read for us today by the Hollenbergs. It's right there. It's right there. It's just five days away. It's what we've been waiting for. It's right there. And we're all just waiting and wanting to just reach and touch it. Christmas. There are four candles now burning, and we're all waiting to light one more candle that reminds us of this Christ. It is within our reach. It is what we have been waiting for. So when we enter into this scene that we heard read earlier, it it begins to create in us this deep sense of Christmas reality. It's a stunning scene, really. We, in fact, are so caught up in this part of the Christmas story that we forget as we look at this scene that it's really not quite Christmas yet. But it does foreshadow everything we're hoping for in Christmas, everything we're longing for, everything we're needing. I actually think it's John's gospel that probably captures for us what's really happening, what this real longing is about when when John says to us that there's grace upon grace. It's what we see, it's what we're waiting to unwrap that God wraps up for us in this infant Savior. From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. 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 Just say that word, grace. Grace, as I've said before, is a tricky word though, for sure. If we're not careful, we reduce it down to some form of religious sentimentalism. Or we make it into an excuse to do whatever we want because, after all, we're under grace. But this morning, we come face to face. We come face to face with grace. We come face to face with love in its fullest embrace. So as the fourth candle now burns brightly with the message of love that Pastor Serena shared, I want to invite you to meet me this morning. I want to invite you in your, in your mind's eye to meet me this morning in a place that's so far off the radar that no one walking by could ever imagine what was happening behind closed doors. Because she was nothing special. No one would ever think to aspire to her. No one. She is so far under the radar of the world. But then, over the centuries in art and literature, she has been promoted to a place that makes her nearly untouchable. As one person said, that as if she is porcelain, merely not human. But that's not the Mary that we meet this morning, sitting in her room, confronted by an angelic visitor. The text says, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. 
You see, we don't expect angels to visit late adolescent girls with no regard. I mean, give me a temple scene that's sacred and you could smell the incense. Give me some great, powerful, spiritual man. Give me some demonstration of angelic power and presence in the holy city of Jerusalem. And we all go, yeah, that's where the angels belong. Not, do we expect, not not angels showing up in the everyday places and common spaces where life really happens. We don't expect angels to show up in the Nazareths or the Nashuas of life. We don't. But here we have it. Someone who is so, so under the radar, someone who is wrapped up not in the flashy ribbon of renown or great accomplishment or political power. No, she is wrapped up in the embrace of God's grace. It says the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary, you have found favor with God. And her response? you got to love her response. (laughs) I think she's probably chuckling a little bit. How how will this be? How, How can this be? And in so many words, she really kind of gives the reason all of us would have nod in agreement to for it not to be her. I'm just a teenager. I'm just a girl who's still trying to figure out what it means to be a woman. I'm, I'm just someone. I'm just no one in this world. Can you imagine hearing it? I am just, I'm just Mary. In Nazareth. You see, unlike so many of the misperceptions of this scene and this young virgin woman, we have misperceptions of what being favored means, individually or as a society. When we think of being favored, we default to the idea of favor being reserved for the elite. Favor means power, favor means influence. We make a direct connection between being favored and having material abundance. But what was it then? What was it then that I heard with my own ears coming from the impoverished people of Guyana in South America? Or from the Civil War-torn people in Liberia? or from the bullet-hole-ridden churches in Nicaragua? What did I hear from people who had nothing and people who were viewed as nothing, but had so much more joy over the grace and favor they had than most Americans who have everything? Let's be honest. What did I hear? You see, favor is not about power, prestige, or money, and And Mary proves that point. We also think favor is reserved for the person who has their act together. The person whose appearance is just right and tight and good. 
The one who can't possibly have the kind of past regrets that no one wants to talk about or is living the kind of shame-producing present that we want to make sure we keep hidden. Yeah, we think favor is reserved for the person who has their act together, but, but Mary teaches us that it has nothing to do with having your act together. Mary, you have found favor with God, it says. You have found favor from God. So, can you hear God say that to you today? Can you hear God say to you that you are highly favored? That you are highly favored? Can you hear that today? There are so many voices that tell us quite the opposite. That we're not good enough. That we're not successful enough. That we're not attractive enough. That we're not spiritual enough. That we're just not enough. How would you finish this sentence? I am just a what? How would you finish that? I'm just a teenager that no one takes seriously. I'm just a person who goes to work in the morning, gets my head down, gets through the week, and gets home during the, during the weekend. I'm just a senior adult that people have forgotten. I'm just an alcoholic, and no one knows. I'm just a screw-up. I'm just a failure. I'm just a nobody. Dr. Mary Paul points this out. She captures what's happening here when she says, in this greeting that Mary receives, in this greeting, Mary and we are called to know that we are much more than any I am just categories. Can you hear God say to you today, you are favored. You are highly favored. Mary is met by the angel. We know what's happening. He's asking something large of her, isn't he? But before he discloses to her the very impossible thing she is called upon to undertake, or maybe we should better say, before he discloses to her this amazing call from God to join him in being part of this new glorious thing that God wants to do, before he asks anything of her, he wants to make sure of one thing, that she knows she is loved and graced. Do you know that you're loved and graced today? We lit a candle of hope and we lit a candle of peace and we lit a candle of joy, but today we light a candle of love, even in the midst of our waiting, because in the midst of our waiting, what's most essential is that we know that we are loved and we are graced by God through Jesus Christ. We need to know that. Do you know that you are loved and graced? Can you hear the Lord say to you today, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. Can you hear him say, do not be afraid. What are you afraid of today? 
Can you hear him say, do not be afraid. You have found favor with God. You have found grace with God. You see, the same word that captures what the angel gifts to Mary is used by the Apostle Paul to describe the desire God has for those who seek and choose to follow Jesus in relationship with him as their Savior. This is what Paul writes. The whole purpose is to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given to, in the one he loves. That word grace there is the same word as favor. The, the Passion Translation communicates it this way. For it was always in his perfect plan to adopt us as his delightful children through our union with Jesus, so that his tremendous love that cascades over us would glorify his grace for the same love he has for his beloved one, Jesus, he has for us. This love cascading over us. Recently I've had this, this place in my imagination of sitting under a merciful fountain, the fountain of God's mercy just being poured out. Now, how does that change your life? Can you place yourself in this passage and hear these words over and over? Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Imagine what you can do when you know you're loved like that. Imagine what you can do can you see that you can then choose a different way to live? You can then realize that your voice matters. You can resist the pressure from the crowd. You can face down that fear and you can even do that big thing that you know God wants you to do. Can you now see that you can find deliverance from that addiction, from that besetting sin, from that paralyzing fear? And maybe you're like Mary, maybe I'm like Mary. In fact, I've been like Mary when I say, how can that be? No way, no way. I mean, it's just me. How can it be? Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. Can you hear him say, do not be afraid. You have found favor with God. You see, from that kind of embrace, she has one response. She has one desire. She desires that which God desires. And our, our, our men's group has, I, I've asked them to pray that. Pray that I will desire to desire what God desires. Pray that I will desire to desire what God desires. She desires what God desires. And you know, the, the theme of this Advent has been when earth receives her king, Right? Well, earth receives its king when everyday people like us in everyday details receive Jesus as king and desire his desires. And that's where we find such abundant grace. We are with Mary, the mother of Jesus, at a time when she had no clue what was ahead of her. She only knew her desire for the God who loved her. And that is the primary prerequisite to being part of the possibilities of God in the impossible places of life. The angel said to her, you know, this is only possible with God. 
That is the prayer we need to pray. Pray that God will expand our understanding and experience of his love so that we may fully embrace his desires, that, that we will expand in our understanding, our experience, and our willingness to receive his love and favor and grace. Imagine what you can do when you know you're loved like that. Here's what happens when we allow ourselves to be embraced by this kind of grace-filled love. Here's what happens. Then Mary said, here I am, the servant of the Lord, let it be with me according to your word. The proper translation of that word servant really actually do is the word slave. And for her culture, it was a specific slave. I would, I would paraphrase that verse this way. I am your bond slave by choice. Let it be to me according to your desire. When we know we are embraced with this kind of love, we are free to allow God to work by his spirit so deeply in our lives. It is then that we welcome his spirit's work. It is then that we release ourselves to him when we know we are loved that deeply. I've been living in a dozen words or so, just 12 words that are full of nutrition of the soul when everything we have pointed to this Advent swirls around. When I'm standing in the rubble, when I'm facing the uncertain, when I long for things to be different, when the world dismisses my faith, when lament grips my throat, when I least expect it, here are the 12 words I've been living in, just living on. They're from Ruth Burroughs. There's never a moment when divine love is not at work. There is never a moment when divine love is not at work. Can I receive that? In whatever the circumstances I find myself in. And don't walk from here thinking, well, that's, that's something easy for you. This is, we're not talking about something easy at all. We're just talking about something very real. There's never a moment, never a moment, when divine love is not at work. And Mary knew this was true for her. Later on, Luke records the song she sang when she visited with her cousin Elizabeth. We call it the Magnificent. We read these words later in chapter 1. Mary said, with all my heart, I glorify the Lord. In the depths of who I am, I rejoice in God my Savior. He has looked with favor on the low status of his servant. Look, from now on, everyone will consider me highly favored because the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. And because of that deep recognition of grace, she could trust that divine love was at work and there was this deep level of release. Hear that. Because, because of this deep recognition of this grace-filled love, there was a deep level of release. Release of her fears. Release of her circumstances. Release of this new, different, disconcerting thing thrust upon her. There was a release of herself. 
into the care and the grace and the goodness of God. That's the direct result of the love of God being shed abroad in a heart like hers. And that result is this. Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Let it be to me according to your desire. Now, unfortunately, Mary has been viewed as not having a choice in all of this, that this was forcefully thrust upon her, that she was a passive participant in this divine drama. But I challenge you to look at this passage again. And what do you see? You find her troubled. You see her struggling with this message. We are told she pondered that she gave consideration to it. She asked the one question that anyone who was actively, intentionally engaged in a decision would ask. How in the world is this going to happen? And then she responds, I am the Lord's servant, she said. I said earlier in her culture and her world that that was referring to a specific type of servant. It was a reference to what is called the bond slave in Deuteronomy chapter 15. That was the context of understanding of what she was doing. You see, that slave, when you go back to Deuteronomy 15, that slave would serve a master for six years and then they would be set free. But what happens if the servant loves the master? What happens if the servant wants to stay with the master? What happens if the servant wants to be identified as belonging to the master? What do you do then? Well, when you read Deuteronomy 15, you discover that they would have this ritual where the, 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 the slave and, and the owner would go out to a doorpost and they would pierce the ear of the slave. And out of love for the rest of that servant's life, they would live and be with and serve the master. They would belong to the master. So when Mary says, I am your servant, what she's saying is, I belong to God. I, I just belong to the one who is the king. She wants more than anything else. What she's saying is she wants more than anything else to be God's. She wants more than anything else to be identified as his, to belong to him. And that is where her yes comes from. Lynn Japinga said it perfectly. In the end, Mary says yes to God, not because she has to, but because she wants to. And in the process, she does not lose herself, but becomes more of herself. Didn't we hear that in the Magnificat? Look, from now on, everyone will consider me highly favored because the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. And she discovered the person. She maximized the person God made her to be. 
And what she longs for with her life is to do whatever God desires. Why? Because she is attached to him by love. Attached to him. Jesus said, John 14, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You know, an indication of our love for God is wanting to live out and do his desires. Do I desire what God desires? Out of love for and in his love, do I simply desire what God desires? You see, that was Mary's secret, and that is our secret. This is the embrace of grace. So imagine, imagine what you can do when you know you're loved like that by God. Imagine this. Well, you are free to embrace God's desires. You are free to do that. Nothing matters more now. Secondly, you can trust God with what and how life comes your way. We are made free to welcome the events of life as invitations to receive grace, even the unexpected. That's not minimizing grief. That's not dismissing sadness or pain or injustice or any of those things. That's not saying we sit idly by and do nothing. That's just reminding us that there's never a moment when divine love is not at work. So we can trust God with what and how life comes our way. Thirdly, you can feel safe enough to release yourself totally into God's care. When we're loved like that, when we know that. And fourthly, you can become part of the possibilities of God in the impossibilities of life. The possibilities of God in the impossibilities of life. That it's right in that place that God wants to meet us. And God invites us to trust him and watch what he does as we place our faith in him. For each one of us, that plays out in different ways. The places where I'm walking in my journey are different than the places where you are walking in your journey. But it is the place where the angel shows up and says, you are highly favored. And the Lord is with you. What is it that is most attached to you and that you are most attached to? For Mary to embrace this grace from God, she lets go of attachments that held her back. Fear of the future, concern for what others thought, a desire for comfort and convenience, her own sense of pride and her own plans and expectations for her life. And isn't this the gift we need to give to God this Christmas? The one gift we need to unwrap in order to give it to Him? Our complete attachment to Him out of love. And then, what possibility in God can meet you and me in the impossibilities of life? Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. 
Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. You have found favor with God. Now imagine what you can do now that you know you are loved like this. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, we want to thank you today that we are recipients of grace upon grace. And you know, Lord God, the place where each one of us needs to hear this message of you speaking to us, reminding us that before you ask us to do anything, before we're anybody, and even especially when we're nobody, that your first thought of us is that we are highly favored just because we're us, just because we're made in your image. That there's nothing, Lord God, that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That we're free now to turn to you and find the forgiveness we need. We're free to turn to you and offer our fears to you. We're free to turn to you and trust you with what we don't understand. We're free to turn to you in our weakness. But we're also free, Lord God, to turn to you and declare our joy in you. We're, we're free to rejoice. We're free to bring thanksgiving. We are free because we are loved like this. So help us, Lord God, we pray, as we go forth from this place, now knowing that we are loved in this great way from you. Help us to go free to love you, to love one another, and to love ourselves for the grace that has been given to us. We love you and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. As you go now into this Christmas week, I pray today that you unwrap the gift of his grace and his deep love and his welcome of you just because of this love that you now know you are loved with. May we go in his grace. Thanks be to God.